So I noticed I had more in common with incredibly powerful people than that middle tier of precocious asswipes that were sucking up to them on a daily basis. So while everyone, and you, you remember this from the 90s, if you went into a, like a car dealership or an art gallery or a high-end jewelers, there'd be someone that would open up the door and they'd be, oh, good afternoon, sir. Oh, good afternoon, man. How are you today? Please let me escort. And they would treat you like they were the bloody Queen of England. Hmm. And it kind of made you feel a bit uncomfortable. Now, we've changed the way we actually deal and recognize wealth now because some of the people that walk around Beverly Hills look as though they're freaking homeless, but they're billionaires, right. you know? We've entered into that kind of thing. But I noticed very early on in the 90s that if I spoke to a human being like a human being, what I looked like, what I sounded like, my education, it all went away. And here was the key. You have to focus on every relationship with the one single question. Hello, and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. I hope you all made it through the holiday season unscathed. But today we are going to talk about getting in the right room. I know a lot of you out there are wanting to be more successful in your business, in your life, and you're wondering why, why do other people have the things that you want and why don't you have them? And so we're going to talk about one of the ways to get in there and some of the other things that can help you succeed. I am here today with Steve Sims. He is true be the wolf kind of a person. He has, he just shows up as himself, even if it's not, quote, what he should be or what people think he should be. And that's one of the reasons I'm super excited about having this conversation. Let's see. So, Steve, why don't you give us a little update in what it is that you do? Wow. What is it I do? Yeah. Um, I know you do lots of things. So, yeah, sure. I suppose. I creatively disrupt. I would say that's probably it. Um, I've come from 20 to 30 years working with the most influential people in the planet, known in the planet as the fixer. Forbes called me the real life wizard of Oz. And now I speak, train, coach all over the planet, disrupting the way that people uh, do business, interact, build relationships and communicate. Now, you didn't start 
in this world of working with all the influential people, it wasn't <laughs> the start of your life. Where did you start? By being pissed off. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I, I left school at the age of 15, ended up on my dad's building site. And so I'm 15, 16 years old going, is this it? You know, am I going to be like shit on cold, wet, damp every single day of my life? You know, because my dad was, my granddad was, my uncles and my right. cousins. And of course, this was in the 80s. So we didn't have social networks like YouTube or Instagram to show us how inadequate our lives were. And <laughs> I was just trying to work out, surely there's got to be something better. So I went out to try and find out if there was. And I knew that the first thing I needed to do was to change my sandpit because everyone that was surrounding me had settled for that standard of life. And I couldn't understand why they were. So I was a mixture of curiosity and aggravation, which when you're 250 pound of, uh, you know, aggressive looking biker, isn't the best thing in the planet to be. But I knew I had to surround myself with people that, that thought differently. I just didn't know what they were thinking. So I went out and met a lot of people and started trying to hang out and, I was kind of interviewing people before podcasts existed. And then I thought, well, hang on, if I can bring something to the party, if I can bring something to the table, you'll have me in your life. And then for I can ask you questions. So I went out to to with the sole, sole focus and sole purpose was to surround myself with at the time millionaires. Cause you know, when you're a kid, right. you want to be a millionaire, don't you? You know? Right. You Until think it'll you solve your, all the problems. <laughs> oh, you'll hit you that one day when the bank account suddenly has all of those digits and you have a million dollars or a million pound or whatever your currency, the second that happens, it'll never rain again and you'll be carried throughout the house by, by vestal virgins and the angels will sing to you while on the toilet and your wife will, your life will be different. And it never is. You hit a million dollars and you go, well, I'm still fucked, you know? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've still got the mortgage and my kids are in school. Your problems just get bigger. And so that's the first thing that happens. So, but when you're young and you're naive and ignorant and that bliss is there, you just want to surround yourself with millionaires. And then you want to surround yourself with billionaires. And you want to surround yourself, instead of having a monetary title, you want to surround yourself with impactors and right. you want to surround yourself with disruptors and that's what suddenly started happening it got me working with people like elon musk elton john richard branson you know all of those kind of usual usual victims i i just grew trying to surround myself with people that did and thought things differently I mean, that's such the big piece of it, right, is to have and create wealth and success in your business is you have to start thinking differently. If you come from a family of blue collar workers, your mindset is typically set in a certain way. So when you start surrounding yourself with people who think differently, it opens up your world and makes you start to think differently. But one of the things that's so unique about you is that you kept your rough exterior, you kept your who you were. A lot of people don't do that. They're like, oh, I have to bend and be this certain somebody to be able to fit in with these people. How were you able to just be you 
and still connect with these people? Well, <laughs> the, the easy answer is I was stupid. Um, <laughs> but my stupidity doesn't sound as stupid as what you just said. And I mean that respectfully. Let no, me I totally before, get it. Before it's you so, think I've just insulted so, you. Yeah. You said, and if we rewound it, act differently, think differently, do differently. We all want to be different. Well, we're all different. Every single person is different. We are all unique. None of us are identical unless we're identical twins. And even when we're identical twins, we can think and act and be different. Totally. We all want to be different, but how do we be different? We start by fitting in. You know, in order to stand out, the first thing you've got to do is stand up. And a lot of people, especially today, are scared of that. You know, we're in a world of judgment. We're in a world of poor little assholes sitting at home, going on Instagram, going, well, you look fat in that outfit, saying a statement like that, and then going on about that day with no idea of the recourse or pain that it's caused. You know, we're in a world now where there's no repercussions. Now, I came from the East End of London. If I told someone they looked fat in that or they were stupid or I didn't agree, I knew that they didn't approve of my message because I got a punch in the nose. Right. I got a reaction to my action. But today it doesn't happen like that. Mm -hmm. So we're very insulting. We're very tough when hiding behind a camera. We're very tough when we're faceless on the internet. But it's how we're actually being brought up. And we're in a gotcha society. We love nothing more than you to say something that we can then take a sound bite and go about ruining your career. It's like it's an Olympic sport today. And I realized that's not what communication is. Uh -uh. Communication is when I say something stupid and you turn around and go, well, hang on, Steve, do you really mean that? Do you understand what that means. And for me to turn around and go, well, no, not really. Can you explain it to me? You know, and then we enter into something called a conversation. But today we don't want conversations. We want transactions. Well, one of the things you just said that I think is so important when we're talking about communication is your willingness to say, well, I don't really understand. Can you tell me more about that? And so many fucking people are so scared to say the wrong thing or pretend like or, you know, feel like they don't know something because they're afraid they'll look stupid. Again, going back to this like way that they think they're supposed to be. It, but you had the gumption to say, basically, tell me more. Help me understand. And yeah. what was it? Was it something in the way you br were brought up? Is it something you figured out along the way? What was it that made you do that? It was it was a it was a bit of both. Um, for a start, and I I joke about it, but I didn't have all the pressure today. There's a lot of pressure from social pages. Yeah. Okay. If you're a mortgage broker, you look like this. If you're an attorney, you look like this. You know, there's all of this pressure that we have. I didn't have that pressure. I was ignorant. I didn't know. So I would literally go up to someone. I'd be like, hey, how do you do this? And they would kind of like be a bit startled that I'm asking that question. But then they'd go, well, actually, I do it like this. And I'd be like, oh, thank you so much. And I, I led with so much desire to understand how you did something that you'll be surprised how many times people actually answered me. And then I noticed 
everyone else around me was terrified to have that conversation. Right. That fear. Now, there's a classic line from the, the man movie of all man movies, Point Break. Hesitation causes fear and fear will cause, uh, sorry, fear causes hesitation and hesitation will cause your worst fears to come true. If you're so terrified to enter into a conversation and say something stupid, you'll end up actually saying nothing, which let's be serious, is even stupider. You know, I'd rather have a conversation and say something dumb to Elon Musk and have Elon Musk turn around to me and go, Steve, you're an idiot. What you mean is this and get educated than to actually not have that conversation. Right. Well, in that fear is what's driving most people's crap decisions, like especially in business. You're afraid yeah. of looking stupid. You're afraid of doing it wrong. You're afraid of failing, but you've got to just keep putting yourself out there because I know it sounds so cliche. Every time you know you fail, every time you make a mistake, you learn something, but you have to have the mindset that you're in it to learn because that's the win. You never know what you learned yesterday that maybe you made a so-called fool of yourself, but you learned it. And then 10 years down the line, it saved your ass and totally is the cornerstone key that made you successful. Oh, 100%. I've never failed in my life. I've become incredibly educated on stuff that doesn't work. <laughs> and and that's where it leans in. One of the one of the biggest one of the biggest traits I learned from some of the most powerful people in the planet was this lust for education. They were curious and they lusted for that education. And the education doesn't come in the win. The education comes when the shit hits the fan. Right. And why didn't that work? How come that didn't work? How come my marks didn't work? How come my prototype didn't work? How come my product didn't work? How come my service didn't work? When you know the answer to that, guess what? Then it works. You know, when you miss, I remember having, I was very, very fortunate. I remember when Elon Musk used to send those rockets up into space and he, he understood the most expensive thing of a rocket was the fuel cells because it made the largest part of the rocket. So like a child, hey, if we can get those back, fill them back up again and use them again, we've saved billions of dollars. Right. Childlike, yes. So then what he did, do you remember when those rockets used to come back, land on that floating platform in the ocean, and that tip over and then that explode? Well, every time it exploded, he looked into the data to see where did it go wrong? You know, it had come from space in, back into Earth. That's a win. It had landed on a bloody floating platform. That's a win. You know, it didn't land in the ocean. It landed on the platform. It was stationary for a bit. That's a win. But then it fell over. So it wasn't a complete failure. There was just one element that wasn't working. Now, do you remember seeing those rockets topple over and explode? Do you remember seeing that on the evening news and stuff? I don't remember it, actually. It was on there so many times, and then all of a sudden it wasn't. Why wasn't it on the news? Because it bloody worked. Oh, he yes. picked up so much data that all of a sudden it worked. So in which case, did it fail? Or was it just a learning curve he needed to go through to get? Now, how many times does the rocket go? He launches them like almost weekly now, and you never see it. Why? 
because it goes up, it lands, and it works. He didn't fail. He learned how to make it perfect. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's even something so simple as when you were a little kid and you learned how to walk, you didn't just fucking stand up and start walking. Nope. You fell a lot of times. You learned a little bit every time. And obviously nobody remembers that, but you were calculating and recalibrating and making these little adjustments and yep. till you were able to walk. Absolutely. You know, you learn how to stick your guard up when you get a punch in the face. We <laughs> learn all of those things from that education. It only fails. It's only classed as a failure when you stop when you give in to that to that education and go, oh, I can't get anything, that's when it becomes a failure. Up until then, it's an education. And even if you get to it and you go, hang on a minute, this doesn't work, let me take it down a different path, that's still education. Um, but, you know, it's only a failure when you stop doing it. And so the, you made this effort, like, I've got to start being around different people. I've got to change the room I'm in. And yep. you started asking questions. You started just getting curious. And you said your aggravated curiosity. Now, what was the big thing that allowed these people to connect back with you? What was the thing that you had to learn or overcome or break through? I th well, so I did have a lot of, because I'm quite an introvert. Okay, I like to ride around on motorcycles, sit on the corner of a bar and drink and growl at people if they come near me. You know, I'm, I'm quite an introverted kind of person. So the first thing I needed to, to do was to take all of my inabilities and failings and to understand were they misconceptions. You see, if you think mm -hmm. about the people that hang around with the richest people in the planet, you think that they all went to Eton or Oxford or they all speak like this. And, you know, it's all that kind of pomp and ceremony. Most of the people in the planet that are incredibly wealthy lived in a one-bedroom apartment with their mum or they, they, they grew the whole business out of a bloody garage, you know? Right. They're more working class than working class could be. They, did, they desired to be middle class before they became the billionaires that they are today. So I noticed I had more in common with incredibly powerful people than that middle tier of precocious asswipes that were sucking up to them on a daily basis. So while everyone, and you, you remember this from the 90s, if you went into a, like a car dealership or an art, art gallery or a high-end jeweler's, There'd be someone that would open up the door and they'd be, oh, good afternoon, sir. Oh, good afternoon, man. How are you today? Please let me escort. And they would treat you like the bloody Queen of England. Hmm. And it kind of made you feel a bit uncomfortable. Now, we've changed the way we actually deal and recognize wealth now because some of the people that walk around Beverly Hills look as though they're freaking homeless, but they're billionaires, right. you know? We've entered into that kind of thing. But I noticed very early on in the 90s that if I spoke to a human being like a human being, what I looked like, what I sounded like, my education, it all went away. And here was, the, here was the key. You have to focus on every relationship with the one single question. What do I bring to the party? Now, I've played that game with, oh, I don't know, hundreds 
of people at the live events I do, at the Speakeasy Masterminds, uh, on podcasts, I'm not going to play it with you. Now, I'm not going to play it with you for one simple reason. You're a woman. Okay? I, I, I know and there's going to be people out there going, oh, he's identifying. Let me explain. Uh, I play okay. this game. I play this game called the barbecue game. Here's the thing. This Saturday night in Los Angeles at my house, I'm having a barbecue and I know you're in the LA area. Hey, will you come to my barbecue Saturday night as my guest? What's your first answer? Maybe. All right, maybe. Okay. So your time allows you, you contact me back. Steve, I'd love to come to the barbecue. I go, great. What's your first question you ask me? What should I bring? See, I failed. If I ask a guy that, they say things like, what time is it? Where is it? What should I wear? Who will be there? Can I take photographs? What food you're serving? Now, maybe the 10th, 11th, or 12th thing, that'll get down to, can I bring anything? You know? But you ever ask that question to the ladies, and they just come in with, what can I bring? You see, you enter into that party thinking, what can I bring to the party? How can I help you? You've already graciously accepted my invite, but now you want to reciprocate. You want to go, what can I bring? Right. Guys don't do that. Every relationship you get into, nine times out of ten, it's like, I want a relationship with Elon Musk. I want Elon Musk to do this. I want something from this relationship. I want this. I. It's all me, me, me. Right. But if you walk into every relationship going, how can I make Elon Musk's life better? How can I benefit Elton John? How can I improve Steven Tyler? How can I do this for Richard Branson? Now, you may think it's a stretch. You know, how the hell can I improve, you know, Elon Musk's life? How can I benefit Richard Branson? Does he have a charity? Does he have a book coming out? You know, does he have a purpose, a focus? Nine times out of ten, the answer is yes. So like Fogman's sake, you're on a podcast. You've got a platform. Maybe they would like the exposure that your podcast, there's a benefit. So I noticed that as long as I could turn up as the solution to this person's problem, everything else about this big scary biker went away. Mm-hmm. And I've used this example before. It's two o'clock in the morning and you've got a raging headache, okay? And you go into your bathroom, you go into your cabinets and you get out your headache tablets, okay? When was the last time you picked up that bottle and you went, now I really don't like the logo and you put it back in the, in the cabinet trying to look for a different bottle of headache tablets? You don't. Yeah. All you care is that that tablet is going to solve your problem. Couldn't care if it came in a freaking paper bag. You really don't care. That headache tablet has one purpose. Solve my headache. The delivery? That thing could look like a tiny little piece of poo. But if it promised to get rid of your headache, you'd be knocking it back late at night. It's true. Okay? So when you turn up as the solution of someone else's problem... Your fancy website, your lovely copy, your lovely little (laughs) business cards. No one gives a turd, okay? Because you've shown up as a solution to somebody else's problem. 
And I noticed that very early on, that as raw and as ugly and as blunt as I was, if I was the answer to your problem, I got to stay. Yeah. Well, and also you said something, did you say it or it's on your website? I know it's on your website, but something about your imperfections are your perfections. And one of the things, once you really understand what lights you up and what makes you tick and what you, what you love, what you, which is the things that you really bring to the table, once you really understand that, when you go into a situation with this thing that you're bringing to the table, it's something that you love to do. It's not like this big chore and people feel in general, so much more receptive to receiving that kind of gift as it will, when it's something that is just, it lights you up, you do it well, you love it. And all of those pieces come together. People feel that and they're like, I want to be around this. Yeah, they do. They do. And, and it's, it's down to that. It's down to that room again. You see, if you get a sponge and you stick it in a, bo- a bucket of water, you don't have to tell the sponge what to do. It will soak up that water. Right. It just automatically, instinctively will just absorb all of that water. Okay. If you stick that same sponge in a bucket of 20-year-old motor oil, it'll do the exact same. Okay. One of them is good for it. The other one's bad for it. But it will instinctively do that. If you are in a room full of people that are toxic, naysayers, settlers, people that aren't pushing themselves – You're going to consume that. So you need to make sure that your environment is one that breeds productivity and disruption. And I've always believed that your imperfections are your perfections. We need to stand out. So don't stand out by first trying to fit in by making sure you got the same suit or the same hairdo. Or so I did a I did a keynote at a real estate convention a few years back, and I I walked out on stage and I said, "Who here?" is the best realtor in your area. And of course, you know, pretty much everyone sticks their hand up. Good. Confidence, good. And who here thinks that they are different to absolutely everyone and and stands out and is brilliant? And of course, I had two-thirds of the room put their hand up. And I went, great. Everyone wearing a blue suit, white shirt, and red tie stand up, and half the audience did. So you think you stand out by doing things differently, but 50% of the audience are doing it by imitating each other. Right. You know, you've got to stand out. And the, the thing about me, I would start meeting these people by turning up on my motorbike in a black T-shirt, leather jacket, and I'm walking into people that own things like countries. And as long as you're there for the solution, they don't care about the rest. Hmm. It goes so anti, of course, what everybody is thinking of these days, especially like I have to have the perfect social media and I have to, you know, look the part and I have to blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And oh my God, what if I have to deal with trolls on the internet and all this? <laughs> yeah, I, I had I had a girl moan at me. Like, I'm Steve D. Sims everywhere. You know, I've got the same handle on all my my social platforms. I've also got the same picture, and it's me holding an old-fashioned, because I like whiskey old-fashions, bourbon specifically. And I had this picture of me holding a bourbon old-fashioned as my profile, still got it, as my profile picture on LinkedIn. 
And I got this lady reach out to me. And I don't, you know, I post stuff on LinkedIn, but I'm more, you know, vocal on Instagram. I had this woman reach out to me and she went, oh, you know, I, I, I hear you're an author and a speaker. Congratulations. But I don't think this is the right profile picture. I suggest you change it. And I said, well, why? And she said, well, it's you holding um, a, a beverage and it looks like an alcoholic beverage. And I don't think LinkedIn is the right environment for that because it's a professional network. And I said to her, I said, so you're telling me that LinkedIn is not the right environment for me to show me drinking an old fashioned because it's, it's, it's a different, it's a business network. And she said, yes, absolutely. Thank you very much. And I said, where does it say that? I don't remember when I signed up that the note said that I couldn't do this. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I said, and she said, it's the largest business network in the planet. And I said, well, actually, no, it's not. Facebook is the largest business network in the planet. And what you're doing is you're actually forcing a preconception on me that I've got to fit into a certain thing. I said it was dominant enough to make you reach out to me to engage me in a conversation about my profile picture. Yeah. I said, would you have preferred that I was leaning up against a, a library of books that I'm never going to read or worse still – Leading up against a car that I don't own just to try and look, would that be better for my LinkedIn profile? Now, I wasn't trying to alienate and I certainly wasn't trying to piss her off. Sadly, she went away. I actually tried to re-engage. Go, look, I'm not trying to alienate you, but I think you're caught up in a vicious hamster wheel when she never came back to me. But the point is today, standing up is the most powerful thing you can do. Now, I don't care if you've got short-sighted, funny haircut, your black, blue, green, purple. No one cares about any of that. But you've got to show why you are different. And in today's world, and to quote the uh, beautiful Sally Hogshead, different is better than better. Hmm. Well, it's also anything that you're going to do that's authentic that makes you stand out amongst the pack is going to be beneficial because we are so inundated with so much shit and it all looks the same there is ad after ad you know you click on one ad because you're curious they wrote some good copy and then and you get to see what everybody else is doing because you're going to get flooded with that same kind of market and those same things. So you get a very clear idea of what everybody else is doing. And a lot of people are looking at it like, how exactly can I replicate it? How do I make it happen just the same way? And while I do think it's beneficial to look at what other people are doing and seeing what's working for them, but you've got to be able to come back to center to who you truly are and do what is right and best for you. And I I would love to say I was great at this my whole life, but I wasn't. It was, you know, survival instinct to make sure that everybody saw me a certain way and did all of that. And I know a lot of people struggle with that same stuff. And that's yeah. part of why I do this podcast. Like there are these different things that we have to break through to actually be able to just be our imperfect amazing, fucking really cool selves. 
There's a couple of points there to unpack. I actually, so we we have a private community called Sims Distillery. And when we were doing our research on it, you're right. When you start looking up certain things, you get peppered by every other advert. You say about, oh, this is good copy. How can I replicate it? We suddenly started noticing that people were. They were literally copying the copy, sticking it on their own. It was the exact verbatim wording on there. And now, of course, not everyone is, you know, comparing site after site. So for them, it's original and it's fresh. But we were actually noticing that. And it was ridiculous. And we couldn't understand it. We also noticed that we're in a auto-generated society. We got AI now. And a lot of people are going on ChatGPT oh, yeah. and going, build me a one page for this. And then they're stunned why everyone's got the same page. <laughs> here's, a, here's an absolutely true story. So... I I can't write for shit, you know. I'm a best-selling author of two books, but thankfully I had ghostwriters that that know how to spell. And I would send out my newsletters, and I'd be like, "Hey, I'm doing this. I'm going to San Diego. Come and spend two days with me, and we'll learn shit." You know, you know, purchase here. And there'd be no grammar, there'd be no full stops, there'd be none of punctuation, and I would send it out. And I remember at one stage, I suddenly started getting a bit tired of doing the newsletters. And I contacted this company that I'd been introduced to that did this newsletter for you. So every, I think, two weeks, they would send out this newsletter. Now, of course, they did this thing called punctuation and grammar. And they would put a pretty picture in there. And they would get this beautiful copy in there. And I used to read these newsletters. And I I was fascinated. The verbiage was beautiful. It was colorful. It transported me into an experience. And I liked them. I liked my own newsletters. And my business started failing. Now, this was before ChatGPT and all Mm. that kind of stuff. And I couldn't understand why it was failing. But I was getting less people coming to my speakeasy events, less people joining the community. I was just getting less. But the newsletters were brilliant. So what was going wrong? So in the end, I turned around to the guys and I said, look, I've got to try something. But I love your newsletters, your copy, your pictures, your layout, the time. I love it all. But I've got to park it because something's missing. I've got to find out where it's missing. And so we parked it. I think it was about a month went by, no newsletter. And then I went, oh, shit, I've got to do a newsletter. And I went back on there. Hey, folks, doing this, coming over here, blah, blah, blah. You know, just banged it out with me, me, me finger and thumb and pushed send. And we got a load of business out of it. So I contacted everyone. I was like, hey, you know, I I just saw, you know, you you, you signed up. Why? We did a newsletter on this three weeks ago. You didn't touch it with a barge pole. I sent this out and you loved it. Someone actually came back to me and they said, we're just glad you're back. Ah. And they had recognized that my writing was so bad, you know, no copywriter could ever have written that. (laughs) It had to be from Steve. And, you know, they they realized that it was me. It was a person. And, of course, we've got AI around now. Right. And a lot of people that have never written a newsletter are all of a sudden writing a book. Yeah. You know? Do you, do, I don't know if you noticed this because it, it got released a little while ago that Amazon started re, um, reducing the amount of books you could list in a certain period of time because people were oh. literally throwing out like five, but I'm not kidding you, 
five books in a week through ChatGPT and publishing them up on, on Amazon. And they would have, and Amazon was like, you didn't write this. You don't know how to write, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're limiting it. So they were limiting it to a release a month or something because people suddenly were, oh, I've been the author of five books. And of course they would try and get bestseller status by selling them for like one cent, you know, and right. uh, all this kind of bullshit to get them in there. And they would subcategorize them into ladies over the age of 50, the like, you know, MMA fighting and, and helicopter lessons. You know, they would subcategorize it. Right. So they would instantly become a, a bestseller and then they would pull out of that category. So it was all that kind of bullshit. But over like a two-month period, they hadn't sold any books, but they were a bestseller of all of them. So ChatGPT has allowed fake people to become more fake. People want to deal with real people, imperfections and all. Yeah, and it's interesting, I think, that especially with the rise of AI, that authenticity is going to become the most important thing. And the thing about it is you feel it. Whether you're aware of it or not, you actually can feel when somebody's being real with you versus when they're being fake. And I know everybody has had that experience. Like they walk away from somebody and they're just like, the person said everything right, but it just doesn't feel good. Yeah, it just doesn't right. feel right. And it didn't you, sit. you get that sense with the carbon copy posts. And, and sure, when you're in a lot of pain and you're struggling and you want something to fix your, your problem like so badly that you're just like, I'll take whatever, you're going to fall for a lot of that crap. And that's part yes. of your growth and part of your learning and part of all the things that in the long run will make your business more successful. So please, people, do not beat yourself up for falling for the fake shit. We've all uh, done it. I, I spent, um, yeah, we've, and that's the thing. We've all done it, and I hope they do it. I've spent a lot of money, even with some big, big, big names, some people that you think, oh, my God, how can you go wrong there? only to end up in like some kind of funnel shit where they turned up for half an hour and all of a sudden it's their standings that are running the thing. It's like dating. If you said to me, hey, Steve, I want to go out for a date on Friday, you know, hook me up. How can I pick your man? You know, or your woman, how, how can I help you? I don't, I don't know enough about you. And even if I did, I may get closer, but I can't produce and orchestrate the click. So in order to get the right tribe, the right community, the right following, you got to go dating. you got to get out there to find out, is this my tribe? Is these my people? And you've got to try. you got to try in order to achieve. And then once you're in that environment, that's where you're fully bloom. But if you find that you're in the right on wrong tribe, hey, that's just part of the journey. That's part totally. of your memoirs and it's part of your story. Absolutely. Before we, before I ask you another question or two, can you tell everybody how to get in touch with you, how they can get involved with your speakeasy? Tell us all the goods. SteveDSims.com. Uh, D for dashing and only one M in Sims. You can find out about my speakeasies, which are my private masterminds. We only limit them to 40 people and we actually approve each one personally. SimsDistillery.com is actually my community. It pissed me off enough that I built my own tribe. Um, but you can find out everything on there or just hook me up on Instagram at SteveDSims, Threads, Twitter, or whatever it's bloody called now, LinkedIn, whatever you like. And yes, you'll always see me with a glass of whiskey in my hand. And if that offends, then don't show up. 
Right. Right. So all of you who are listening, open up a browser right now, type it in stevedsims1m.com and join a newsletter, get on the list. Do There's, uh, I think, a free gift somewhere in the yeah, show Yeah, there's notes. actually a free book. You can yes. head over to goforstupid.com and actually get my entire book for free. I did a video series and I read the book. So if you want to kind of like shove it up in the browser in the left-hand corner while you get on with your day, a friend of mine told me the other day that if he listens to it at one and a half times speed, he gets through the whole book in two hours. So free of charge, goforstupid.com. Nice. I'm a 1.3 times <laughs> listener. Like 1.5 is just a little too fast for me. <laughs> like, um, for those of you that want to know some secrets to making some more money without sacrificing who you truly are, I've got a free gift for you also at bethewolfgift.com. And again, open up the browsers, be thewolfgift.com, stevedsims.com. Get the free stuff, get the good stuff. Now, when you were 15 and you mm-hmm. were looking around, you knew you had to get out of the, the circle you were in, you needed to change rooms. What was one big thing that you needed to know then? that might've shortened your journey or that you just really needed to understand about people, about the world that you did not yet get? There were times in my earlier life where I would get disgruntled and I would get knocked back and it would hold me back for maybe a few more hours or days than it should have done. So I wish I'd have known at the time that you are going to miss nine times out of 10. Um, and so it took me a long time to realize that you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You've got to get comfortable with the nose. You've got to get comfortable with the rejections. You've got to be comfortable with the answers that don't align with you. Had I learned that earlier on, I think it may have helped me fail faster because (laughs) A lot of the education in my life came from asking the wrong questions or bad questions or bad delivery. I wouldn't take that away from me at all because it's what refined me. Um, But there were a few times where I would like try a bunch of things and it would go wrong and I would just sit in my room and, oh God, you know, this isn't going. And I would would have my my moment. Had I known at the time that, hey, you're going to get that nine times out of 10. But the 10th one's going to create the the point that you forget the failings. Because how many of us actually forget the pain, you know? If we held on to pain, and this is a beautiful thing about human people, human beings, if we actually could remember the pain, we wouldn't do it again. Women. I know. Childbirth. There would be no people on the earth. There would never be another child in the planet. But we forget pain. I remember, like, I hate needles and I have tattoos. And every time I have a tattoo, I'm like, I am never having another tattoo. And then like six months later, oh, I fancy a tattoo. Oh, this can't <laughs> hurt that bad. And then I'm like, Jesus, mother, I never want a tattoo again. So 
we are very, very good at forgetting pain. We fail, we make mistakes, we get hurt, we get screwed over, we get laughed at, we get ridiculed, and then we achieve it. And all of that other stuff just just pales away. So I think that's the only thing that I would have preferred to have learned when I was younger. But hey, I'm not too upset of where I am now. Yeah, it's a powerful thing when you do keep going. And I think that's one of the things too, is most people's upbringing set them up to not understand that. It was like, you have Mm. to do this test and you have to do it right. And you have to be good and this and that. And, and it just sets you up to think, oh, maybe I'm not going to be loved. Maybe I'm not going to make any money if I fail. And especially, of course, with social media and seeing everybody out there so-called making a ton of money that they (laughs) are, you know, I was, I have a friend that I talk marketing stuff with, and he always jokes about like, yeah, for my next campaign, I'm going to rent a Ferrari and stand in front of it and make a big joke of it because it's like such a bullshit, like marketing Mm. move. And I think I even noticed in something I was looking at, somebody was like, yeah, these people talk about making money, but then I look and their house isn't like totally full of really rich, expensive furniture and stuff. And I'm like, not everybody that's making a ton of money cares about that. They're busy doing what they're doing, living their purpose rather than running around shopping for extravagant furniture. (laughs) Have you ever heard of a gentleman called Warren Buffett? Oh, yeah, I know. He lives in the same house that he's lived in forever. It's like, yeah. Yeah, he drives. He, when I I had a, I won't say a relationship, but I, I knew him when I was doing some work in Palm Beach. And we came out of an event and we were waiting for the valets to bring up all of these cars. And I had a motorbike again at the time. So, you know, my bike was just sitting there and I was talking with him and Michael Milkin at the time. And this 15-year-old beat-up Corolla pulled up that looked like, you know, I don't know, the gardener had it or something. Not not one of the richest men in the world. Right. And um, I saw the car, and it caused me to smile. And someone turned around and Warren and said, um, when are you going to get rid of that car and buy a new car? And he said, when it stops getting me where I need to go. Yeah. And and that was it. He then jumps in his shitty old Corolla and drives off. One of the wealthiest men in the planet with, you know, I don't know, a six grand car. Uh, it was just ridiculous. But, hey, it's, uh, people put priorities on different things. It's true. Well, and it's also good business sense to not buy a bunch of stuff that you don't need. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where people go wrong. They just invest in the wrong things. Right. It's like I waited till my computer was on the like deathbed before I bought another computer because it was working fine. It was doing everything that I needed it to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yep. sure, I could have a little more power, a little more this or whatever, but it was working. There was no need to upgrade until it was not working for me anymore. So, um, any last words that you would like to share with the people before we close off? I'd like people to do things differently. That's what my push is at the moment. As I say, the book's out there, free of charge, goforstupid.com. Uh, if you want to find out more about me, stevedsims.com. 
uh, or you know, Instagram, Steve D. Sims. But I want people to dare to do things differently. Stop listening to those people that can't afford you. Stop listening to those people that have a poor mentality and a poor mindset and dare to do something different. I love that. All right. Well, again, open up the browsers, everybody. SteveDSims.com, BeTheWolfGift.com. And remember, everybody, when you operate from who you truly are, you evolve humanity. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you next time on Be The Wolf. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.